And evening church. Evening. Um, does everyone have reach of a Bible? Either on a technological device or on one of those old things called a book. Because they have the words of life in, so let's unpack those and get used to some of them. You guys are a lot more chatty than the morning services. When they were passing out a Bible, it was dead. It was like, pass the Bible. So if you haven't met me, I'm Tom. I'm an ordinant here for the next three years. So we're training, I'm training. And my wife is a teacher at Tiffin Girls School. And we're going to be here for three years. So do is worth investing in coming and saying hi at the end of the service, because I am going to be here for three years. Um, and it would be great to get to know you, because we're just excited to be part of what God's doing at St. John's Hampton Wick, um, and what he's called this church to do in this community. So, everyone got a Bible? Thumbs up? Great. What I want to talk to you about tonight is crying out in prayer. So we've been doing a series in the evening service as well called Deeper, where we've been looking at how we can connect to God in prayer. And tonight I want to ask you the question, when was the last time you cried out in prayer? Or put it another way, when was the last time you were real with God? You were authentic with where you're at in the deepest sense of who you are? What I find fascinating is that in our culture that is increasingly secular, there's still evidence of people wanting to pray. It's still apparent in our culture that people want to express themselves by crying out to something other than themselves. In 2015, when the Paris attacks happened in November, one month after those hap the terrorist attacks happened, Time magazine posted an article kind of trying to comprehend the fact that people were crying out to something other than themselves. And it said, in the 24 hours after the attack, 70 million people took to Instagram to share their prayers for Paris, with the main hashtags being hashtag pray for Paris, hashtag pray for the world. That's actually harder to say than you think. And there was this overwhelming need to process and cry out beyond themselves, even if those 70 million people don't believe in God. And The Guardian recently published a poll by Tear Fund. I know this church is a bit of a sleeper cell for Tear Fund. There's loads of people here who work for Tear Fund. And Tear Fund produced this poll on how people pray and what they believe about how those prayers have an impact on their life and the world. And Guardian, The Guardian published it and it said that just under half of those who said they pray believe that God hears their prayers just under half. So that means that just over half of the prayers in this poll believe it does absolutely nothing. And yet, they still have this urge to pray. The Bishop of Gloucester, who I'm sure we all know extremely well, said, we shouldn't be surprised by these recent findings which reflect human longing for the mystery of, and love of God amid experiences of daily life. Isn't it fascinating that people long to cry out, long to cry out in prayer? There's something almost innate in us. The only problem is that our culture, our society has forgotten who to cry out to. So we as a church, we as the church, need to humbly point to the one we cry out to. Let the world know that we don't only cry out for something, but we cry out to someone. 
That we don't find fulfillment for our desire to pray by shouting into the void of Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, which ultimately can't hear or respond. But that actually we find the fulfillment of that desire in the person of Jesus Christ, who can hear and respond to our cries. So how do we cry out? So we're going to be looking at John 11, which is on page 1077, if you have a Bible. And if not, work out how to find John 11 on your phone. We're going to be looking at verse 1 to 3, and then dipping around in John 11 a bit. Is everyone there? So John 11 starts in verse 1. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So Mary and Martha are these women who were pivotal followers of Jesus. And we can often overlook them, but with our first century lenses, it's almost like you've got to, I'm so blind, you are all a blob. If you, if you put on your first century lenses so that you can read the scripture in the context it's in, these are women, I know it sounds obvious, these are women who are regularly and reverently talked about throughout the gospels as key followers of Jesus. So there's so much to learn from these sisters. There's so much encouragement to take from their relationship with Jesus. And John 11 has an explosive game changer in it. If anyone's read the title or read further on than one to three, you'll know that this Lazarus who dies, uh, this, oh, yeah, this Lazarus who was sick, dies, <laughs> spoiler, and then he's raised to life again by Jesus. But what I don't want to do is rush to the miracle of resurrection and for us to miss out on the miracle of relationship. The miracle of relationship between Jesus, Mary and Martha. In John 11, we find that the sisters are in real peril. Again, first century, they're about to lose their brother, the man of the house, who will chaperone and keep them safe. And they're in the Middle Eastern town of Bethany. And Lazarus has the kind of sickness that doesn't need a description of the symptoms. You know, the, the kind that just says, he, he's sick. They don't need to explain any further in their cry to Jesus because it's inferred that it will end in death. So they're in this place of peril and they cry out to Jesus. And really I think there's two reasons other than the obvious one that Lazarus is sick as to why they cry out and how they can cry out to Jesus. And those two reasons are intimacy with Jesus and recognition of Jesus. Intimacy with Jesus. What I love is that in verse 2 of our passage in John 11, John is particularly keen to let us know that these women are pivotal followers. He says in verse 2, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. John is referring to one chapter later in John 12, when Jesus is surrounded by all his disciples and the newly alive Lazarus, and Mary and Martha are hosting them all. And Mary begins to anoint Jesus with extremely expensive perfume. And John tells us that she's, being, she's anointing him for his death. So John is framing chapter 11 by referring to 
what happens in chapter 12 when Mary anoints Jesus. He's reminding us that in verse 2 that Mary is the only one who really understands what Jesus is going to do. So the story continues that Mary opens this perfume and wipes Jesus' feet with her hair and the perfume. It's so intimate. It's super intimate. I've got a two back and sides and I go to the Turkish barbers just at the end of the road here. They even do this thing where they light a metal stick and put it in my ear because I obviously have ear growth hair, which is a confession. But I wouldn't really, if I was about to wipe someone's feet with my hair, I would, I would get so close to their feet. It would be so intimate. I don't really have that long a hair to be able to really adequately display the story. But John Kissel does. So imagine if John Kissel came up now, opened a bottle of perfume, poured it all over my feet. I'm not saying I'm Jesus. And then started mopping my feet with his hair. His beautiful hair. How intimate would that be? How shocked would you be? How equal measure of, of kind of awe and awkwardness. Imagine the disciples as she does this, as the perfume fills the room, as she is so intimate with Jesus to the point of the disciples being a bit like, ooh. And what happens is that the story continues in chapter 12 that Judas, the disciple, turns to Jesus and he says, what is she doing? Why hasn't she sold that perfume to give to the poor? And Jesus rebukes Judas and affirms Mary's act of intimacy. Elsewhere in the other gospels in Matthew Jesus says the thing that she's just done where she anoints his feet she says wherever the good news is told wherever the gospel story is told she will be remembered wow now there's a pivotal follower of Jesus there's someone who's intimate with Jesus this woman understands more than the disciples what Jesus is to do she obviously has a deep rooted revelation of who Jesus is a deep intimate relationship with Jesus she's close to Jesus she has intimacy with him. We can have that intimacy with him today. We can be as close as Mary was with Jesus. And John is keen in verse two of our passage to remind us that the sister's cry in verse three, the cry for Jesus comes out of the place of intimacy. And secondly, the sister's cry out because they recognize who Jesus is. They recognize Jesus in the midst of their peril. Verse three says, so the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Lord. I find it incredibly challenging that their first response is to cry out, Lord. I have to admit that my first response to the minor or major stresses of life isn't often to roll out of bed and go, Lord. Often, my response is instead probably more likely, Kaylee, who's my wife, just in case you're wondering, maybe she can sort my problems too. Or maybe mum or dad, or even on my worst days, okay, Google, because we have a Google Home. And actually, when I was practicing this talk at home, Google responded and said, how would you like help baking a sponge cake? And <laughs> It's like, Google, you are not as good at responding and hearing to my prayers as the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> but their first response is just to recognize Jesus as Lord. Remember, Jesus is their friend, he's their teacher, he's often been their house guest, but first and foremost, he's their Lord. 
who's the first place that they turn to in peril and anxiety. And notice that the cry in verse 3 comes from their heart and it names him as Lord. It's almost like they're putting Jesus above the situation. It's like a statement of faith in saying, you are Lord, the one you love is sick. They recognize him as Lord. The sisters show us that we cry out to God in prayer because firstly we can know the intimacy with Jesus. We can spend time with him just as Mary and Martha were with Jesus. We can be as intimate as Mary was. We can know his presence. You can know his presence, the presence of the living God you can know. And secondly, we cry out in prayer because we recognize who Jesus is, that he is Lord, and all that entails for our lives when we put him in that place of lordship. So we can know his presence and as Lord, we can know his power. So the sisters cry out because of his presence and his power that they've seen at work. And yet, even with this almost innate desire, the kind of 70 million who want to cry out in prayer when something confusing and uh, unsure as to why it's happening happens in our world, even if we have this desire to cry out, we, we struggle to cry out. I struggle to cry out in prayer even if we know his power and his presence, because we doubt it. We doubt his presence with us, and we doubt his power for us. Just under two years ago, my wife and I, Kaylee, who you all remember now, um, my wife and I went through a really tough patch in our marriage where I basically got extremely ill and my immune system just crashed. And worse than that, it was attacking itself. It caused me to be bedbound, the doctors couldn't diagnose what it was, and what happened was a gradual decline in health. My body started to react by all over eczema, all over body eczema. I couldn't move without bleeding. My mental health started to suffer. I just felt trapped and lost. Just trapped and lost. And that time I struggled, I struggled to cry out because I just didn't know what to cry out. I couldn't give anything to God. I couldn't give anything to my wife, to my family, to my friends. And I wasn't sure that God wanted the garbled mess of my prayer that would come through the kind of snot and tears. I'm an ugly, ugly crier. <laughs> and I wasn't sure that's what God wanted. But the reality is, it's exactly what he wants. It's exactly what he wants. He wants to know where we're at. He longs for us to cry out in prayer, however poorly constructed our prayer is however theologically incorrect our prayer is, he wants us to cry from the depths of ourselves, Lord, this is where I'm at. Whatever you're facing today, I don't know where you're at, whether you're in the highest of highs and in the worship you were thinking, yes, I'm going for this, or whether you were actually feeling, I can't connect with this because I just, I just feel a bit lost and a bit trapped. But as I began to cry out, as I began in a messy kind of way, not really sure what I needed at that moment, God heard and he began to comfort. And God longs to hear the cries of your heart and comfort you. Nikki Gumbel, who is a vicar at a church in Kensington, writes this um, app called Bible in One Year that just helps you read through the Bible in a year. And he wrote in June I think this passage about crying out in prayer 
He said, many times in my life I've cried out to God for help, either because of my own desperate situation or on behalf of someone else who's in great need of help. Sometimes God has answered this cry almost immediately. Other times it's been after a long time that I've been able to look back and see his answer. Sometimes I've not received the answer I'd hoped for. Yeah, even then, it has always been of great comfort to know that God heard my cry. God's desire is for us to have a real relationship with him that is from our heart. Wherever you're at today, God's desire is for you to have a real relationship that is from your heart. Allow your heart cry to bubble up. Allow yourself to be real with Jesus. Allow yourself to cry out authentically to God. Because God will hear the cry of your heart because he loves you. Because he loves you. (laughs) And he loves you and you and you. And we could be here all night but he loves each and every one of you. So we can let our hearts cry out, Lord. Because what I learned when I was ill is that his presence and his power, the things that Mary and Martha cry out from, are not dependent on us. They're not dependent on what we can muster, what we can give. They're dependent on who he is by his nature and his character. And he is a powerful, loving God who longs to come near Emmanuel himself, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you don't need to fear that when you cry out, he won't respond. And that, that cry out doesn't just have to be the major stresses in life, though they will come. For me, when I was ill, I then saw a specialist consultant at St. Tommy's who... Uh, Ironically, with a skin problem that made my face extremely pink, was called Dr. Pink. Um, and he said, welcome into my office. Um, and I thought, wow, you can't write this stuff. And he gave me a drug that dramatically improved my health and well-being. And one week later, after starting taking that drug, I was out of bed, feeling okay, obviously having to process everything I'd been through. And what I've realized through that time is that God wants to hear the cry of my heart every single day. Not just when we're in the depths of despair. Not just when we're lamenting what's going on. But actually when we're as joyful as can be. And I've been learning how to let that cry out day by day. The day I got married, I want to say, Lord, thank you for this woman. Yesterday we walked through Richmond Park Oh my goodness, Richmond Park is incredible. I wanted to say, Lord, thank you for your creation. I wanted to let him know where I'm at. And I don't know where you're at, but all of us need to allow the depths of ourselves to cry to the depths of God. As deep cries to deep, we start to connect with Jesus as Lord. Because the miracle of relationship occurs when we cry to God in prayer. Notice that in John 11, Jesus comes and he responds to Mary and Martha's cry of, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when Jesus comes, Lazarus is dead. Mary and Martha are distraught. But they allow their hearts to cry out again to Jesus as Lord. Both have the exact same issue and pain. They've lost their brother. And both have the exact same prayer, but they're way that Jesus responds to them is totally personal, totally individual. 
miracle of relationship is that Jesus comes, he responds, he hears, and he responds individually to each of us. Martha meets Jesus and cries in verse 21, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And it's like Jesus can see into the depth of her cry, the cry of her heart, and he can almost translate it. Like she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And he receives it and he goes, oh, okay, what you need to know is the truth of my power. And he responds with, I am the resurrection and the life. A weird response to someone who's just said, my brother just died. And if you'd been here, it would have been okay. It's not pastoral 101. But he sees, he translates that the cry of her heart is that she needs to know that truth that Jesus is powerful, that God is powerful and can do things in her life. And then Mary comes out in verse 32 later on. All the while, remember, Jesus knows that he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. And Mary comes out, the intimate one with Jesus, and she says the exact same prayer. She's got the exact same problem. She says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And yet Jesus responds totally differently. He responds by weeping with Mary. That famous verse, Jesus wept. He hears the same cry of prayer and responds with his comforting presence, mourning with Mary. So to Martha, he comforts with the truth of his power and to Mary, he comforts with the truth of his presence. The joyful thing is he responds individually. Me and my wife went to... um, have a afternoon tea together. Um, her love language is quality time. So we carved out a bit of quality time to go and have an afternoon tea. And we got there, it's a set menu, and they say it can have what I would deem a small sandwich, followed by what I would deem even smaller cakes, followed by a tea. And the waiter came and he said, obviously you're on the set menu, but if there's anything you would want changed, just let me know. So confession time, I hate salmon. I hate Simon, and I'm sorry if you've ever invited me to your house and I pretended to like it. I hate it. (laughs) And my wife loves it. And so poor Kaylee spends her life not having the thing she loves. So if you have any spare salmon, do give it to my wife. But what's important is that the waiter comes and I swap my salmon sandwich for a ham and cheese. Good choice, Tom. And he goes down to the kitchen and what comes back, because it's a funny, fancy place in a drawer... Yes, in a drawer is the sandwiches, the cakes, and then we get the tea. And of course, I have a salmon sandwich waiting for me. And sometimes we can think that God is just like that. Like when we cry out, he won't actually respond. Like he only has five set menus. And when we cry out to him, he goes, you're probably a set menu one. You're probably a set menu two, three. Okay, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. That's not at all who God is. God responds to us individually and personally. To cry out in prayer helps us connect with God. It strengthens us and draws us closer to him. Closer to the one who has given us that desire to pray. I think tonight some people desperately need to know the comfort of Lord Jesus. Desperately need to know the power and the presence that Jesus can be in your life. And some of us just need to cry out afresh with a true and authentic cry of prayer that lets God know where we're at.
so that we can continue that relationship, be drawn into who he is. Imagine if, as the church, as St. John's, we could humbly teach the world to cry out to someone rather than just into the void. Call out to Jesus, that we could reveal that there is someone who can fulfill our desire to cry out in prayer that we could reassure people in our community, how massive this would be, that we could reassure people in our community that God listens and responds. That the word Jesus is more than a swear word, that instead Jesus is the name above every name, the Lord of lords who hears and responds to the cries of our hearts. Imagine this week if you could cry out once again, confident, that Jesus will come and comfort with his power and his presence. It starts with each of every one of us being real, allowing the depths of ourselves to cry out to who he is. Just like Mary and Martha, we need to cry, Lord. <laughs>